wonderful to have you. Today, we're jumping back into a series called By Faith. This is like part two or a continuing series. We had this great idea. I didn't realise we were going to continue it. But as we look at different biblical characters, it feels like, do you know what? This is a genius idea. By Faith. And so we're going to be looking at the story of Caleb today. So... If you've got your Bibles, and I'll, I'll let you get there while I kind of open up, you're going to be in the book of Numbers, which I know many of you know deeply. So um, Numbers 13 and 14 we're going to be in today. So grab your Bibles. I love the story of Caleb and Joshua. Now, Joshua is really interesting. Quite a lot of you will know quite a lot about Joshua because Joshua is the one that's normally concentrated on. And actually, I said it this morning, but interestingly, there are... Generally, Christian parents will call their children Joshua. So there were, I think there were two or three Joshuas in the room this morning. Any Joshuas in the room tonight? Zero. <laughs> well, that absolutely failed. Right, let's go through a few names. Any Caleb's? Okay. I love it when an example works so well. <laughs> anyway, what I love about Caleb, though, is that we see a man of devotion, and it talks in the scriptures about being a man of wholehearted devotion. And so Numbers 14, 24, which is just a little verse, we're going to be earlier in the passage, but it says this, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So today I want to look at, it talks about this different spirit. And so I really want to look at, well, what is this different spirit is talking about? What does it look like to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? And as Paul mentioned earlier, this is going to be a little two-parter. I'm going to do this week, and then I'll give you a week to mull on it. And then I'll do it in two weeks' time back here again. Now, I spoke to the leaders of the church on Thursday evening about this being a season for our community of finding our voice. And what I mean by that is... As society, we have hit almost storm after storm after storm. If you were to go through some of them, it would be the pandemic, followed by a war in Ukraine, followed by the fear about the cost of living, followed by fear about where our society's heading. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like boom, 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 boom. And I don't know about you in your conversations with people, but generally when I talk with many, many people, there is just a, just a fear. It's, it, you know, you just need to go onto the news, isn't it? It doesn't ever seem to be generally that great. But you turn it on, it's like, oh, we need to be worried about this. We need to be worried about this. I think what an incredible moment to have faith. You, you know, in the midst of all of this, that we have a foundation that cannot be shaken in the Lord Jesus. And so what a moment for us to find our voice. It was really encouraging, actually. I shared this word with... Uh, the leaders and this morning I was preaching on it and a lady came up to me she'd been at Felder Brennan. Felder Brennan's a little retreat center in West Wales and she'd gone away to pray and the Lord had given her a word about finding her voice and she was like as I started speaking she's like oh my goodness and you get those moments don't you. So anyway I felt super encouraged by that but We've been given the good news. We've been given salvation. We've been given the gospel. We've been given roots in this moment. And so actually part of the church finding its voice is finding its confidence in the gospel. So as we jump into the story of Caleb, let me give you a little bit of background. Some of you will be really familiar with this story. For some of you, this will be the first time that you've heard this story. So book of Numbers. Moses 
has led the Israelites into the desert. So he's escaped from Pharaoh. That moment they've been in slavery for 400 years and Moses managed, they've had the plagues, and Moses managed to lead the people out of slavery. He's taken them through the Red Sea that have that moment of they come to the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens, and then in this miracle, they watch the Red Sea coming back behind them and suddenly they've, they've escaped. They're into a new reality. The Lord's been guiding them by, with cloud by day and fire by night. In amongst all of this, you'd think, wow, they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They must be super pumped. Actually, there's loads of moaning. That's what you pick up in, mo in numbers. Um, there's moaning about the food situation because actually the Lord's providing for them with manna and quail, and they're actually deeply unhappy that there's no meat. Um, that's a story for another time. But So the, the Lord's been providing for them. But at this point in the st story, they have been traveling for about two years. So it's quite soon after they left Egypt. And so they come to the edge of the promised land. And they're looking over at the promised land. Moses, in his wisdom, actually descends to send, decides to send in a team of spies, sends in 12 spies, one from each of the tribes. These 12 spies go into the land to search it, to look at, to look at it. What's the land like? How many people are there? Do they look strong? Are the people absolutely ripped? You know, how big are they? What's going on with them? They had to bring back soil samples from some of the crops. And it says that the spies cut down a cluster of grapes that were so large that they had to carry it on a pole. Just a little extra detail for you. But that really goes with this idea that this was a land flowing with milk and honey. That will be a phrase that you hear. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. After exploring this land for 40 days, the men returned and reported what they'd seen. And so we pick it up in Numbers 13, verse 27. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Now, short passage, loads to unpack at this point. What you've got is 12 spies gone in to see a pretty similar situation. 10 of them have come back and gone, uh-uh, there is no way we're going there. The people are absolutely massive. Two of them have come back, one of which is Caleb going, we can take it, we can go into the land. So there's different mindsets going on, aren't there? They saw pretty much the same situation, but came out with different conclusions. Now, this is a really defining moment in the story. Because this people failed to see with the eyes of faith, that entire generation missed God's purpose for their life and God's will. God said, okay, as a result of your lack of faith, you can wander around the desert for the next 40 years. So this, this moment when they chose not to enter the land, it wasn't like, do you know what? We're going to return in two years' time and we're going to go into the land. 38 years later, 
this moment. So it's a massively defining moment. And then the Lord goes on to say, because of your lack of faith, there are only going to be two people that enter the land. Only Caleb and Joshua will enter. These are the only people that will go into the promised land. Everybody else will pass away before that happens. As we pick it up in verse 33, there's an absolutely brilliant verse that I just want to take a moment to sit on. It says this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. I want to look at two different mindsets today. And the first is something that I'm going to call the grasshopper mindset. Because it's such a, it's such a memorable thing. I sometimes go away and, and I wonder, I wonder how many, much people remembered what I spoke on last week. Do you know what I mean? Like, and if I was to sit down with somebody, it's like, oh, just, just tell me what I spoke on last week. I don't actually know I was elsewhere, James, you know, in my mind. But actually, what I want you to pick up today, I'm talking about different mindsets. I'm talking about the grasshopper mindset. And I just want to unpack it for a little bit because this verse is really profound. The grasshopper mindset is this. We are tiny. We are weak. We are nothing. They are strong. They are giants. It is impossible. It cannot happen. That's what the grasshopper mindset feels like. That's what happens when fear leads, when fear calls the shots, when fear becomes the loudest voice. And what happens is, in a grasshopper mindset, we forget things. We just forget. We forget how God has been faithful. We forget how God has provided. We forget our identity. And so I want to just start and unpack some of those things. And the first thing that these people forget is their identity. Now, this is low self-esteem, isn't it, in this moment? They're saying, we're insects. We're just tiny bugs compared to these giants. They're going to eat us for lunch. We can't do that. They're huge. Does it remind you of another story in the Bible? Maybe David and Goliath? That moment where you're like, oh, yes, I've seen this before. And notice they say, we saw ourselves like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So as we looked at ourselves, we felt like grasshoppers. And then it says, and we look the same to them. It goes one step further than saying, we felt like this. It goes, no, actually, that's when they looked at us, that's how they saw us. How did they know? How did they know that that was how the enemy saw them as grasshoppers? The truth is they didn't. It's called projection. So what happens in a, in a fear moment when we go into different situations is that we project something onto other people. Is that we're like, oh, I don't know if you've ever had this, when you've walked into a room for the first time and you sit there and you make all of these judgments about these people are thinking this. And you have absolutely no idea what they're thinking. But you're like, oh, they, they think that I shouldn't really be in this room. They, should, they think that I shouldn't be here. It's like, it's not true. It's just projection. So what's happened is they've moved from kind of just their own self-image to, no, actually the other people are saying that about us. So that's how extreme the place that they've got into is. Now, you need to realize as you come into this story, they have been slaves for 400 years. And I want to tell you that this is a mindset of slavery because they've been enslaved. Um, and they see themselves as helpless. Now, they're not enslaved by a pharaoh anymore, but by an idea, by an image, by a self-concept. I think the truth is that we often do this as well, is that we get into a place where we start projecting different things. And ultimately, they're just lies. They're not true. It's not what God would say about us. It's, it's when you start saying, well, I'm like this and I can't do that. And the Lord would say, it's not true. That's a lie. 
I have made you a child of God. I've made you a co-heir with Christ. You know, I've given you all the things that are found in Jesus are found in you. And you're like, no, 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 that's not true. It's like, that is true. That's who we are. And therefore, there's this piece of they have completely forgotten their identity in the Lord. So that's the first thing that happens when you think with a grasp hopper mindset. The second is that they've forgotten God's provision. So I mentioned earlier about this incredible story of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They've forgotten. They've come to this next stage of the journey, and they've literally forgotten all the incredible ways that the Lord has delivered them up till now. It's like just a mind blank. They're in a new situation. It's like, I, I, yeah, I've forgotten that. God's delivered them through the 10 plagues, Pharaoh. He's taken them through the Red Sea. He's given them the fire and the cloud. He's provided them with manna and quail. No, but God can't do it again, can he? He did it four times. He surely wouldn't do it a fifth time. And they've got themselves into that place. They've forgotten that God's miracles. And they've become discouraged. And it's really interesting as you go into Numbers 14 to see the things that they begin to say. And what I want you to really notice about this is I know that on the one hand, we're looking at the people of God and being like, oh, yeah, look at them. Aren't they a bit stupid? The truth is, how often do we get to these places as well? I know that as I talk through these things, it's like, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. And what that does is is fear and slavery begins to rob us from freedom and the Lord's purposes. So Numbers 14 verse 1 says this, Then all the people began weeping aloud, and they carried on all night. Just picture that for a moment. They were absolutely terrified. They had a massive communal meltdown. Poor us, they're now crying and weeping because they're not going to get to go into the promised land. What's keeping them from going into the promised land? One thing, fear. We can't do it. They're not living by faith. They've got discouraged. And then moving into verse two, after the all night fear fest that they've just had, it says this. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They picked on the leaders. We wish we had died in Egypt, they wailed, or even here in the wilderness. Can you see how it's getting worse by the moment? It's like, God, you've just, like, it would have been so much better if we had died. It's like, wow. First they mourn, and now they murmur. First they cry, and now they complain. It's discontent. They have forgotten the Lord's provision. And that's what happens. That's why sometimes it's a really, really good thing to do. When we're in a moment, kind of a, a courage moment of stepping forth. And I, when I'm talking about mindsets, I'm, I'm going to talk about the grasshopper mindset. But I'm also going to talk about a, a mindset of courage. Because these are the two things that go hand in hand. One of the greatest things that we can do is go back into our story. Back into our personal story and be like, God, Where have I seen you provide? Where have I seen you break through? Where have I seen you answer prayer? And what happens is, as you begin to do that, you begin to fill your courage tank. It's like, oh, yes, I've remembered what you've done before. I've remembered how you've provided. It's that thing of not remembering. And then finally, they've forgotten God's faithfulness. Numbers 14, verse 3, they said, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd be better off going back to Egypt. You know what they're saying here? We know better than God. Notice they're blaming God for not letting them go into the promised land. They're like, God, you brought us all the way here and we can't go into the land. And the Lord's like, do you know what? I'm, I'm kind of opening the door for you. All you need to do, you just, you just have to go in. I've kind of prepared this whole situation. And Caleb and Joshua are like, let's go in, let's go in, we can do it. It's like, yeah, but the people are really tall. 
they've just got overwhelmed by how tall these people are. It's like they are giants. And I've just remembered, and I'm a grasshopper. I'm that small. Can you see what's going on? They're blaming God. God isn't holding them back. It's fear that's holding them back from taking that next step. Now, all of a sudden, they're remembering the good old days of Egypt. They're sitting there like, do you remember how great Egypt was when we were in slavery for 400 years? How awesome that was. Wasn't it amazing, Egypt, when we got really mistreated? But it seems better. And we've all had moments like that when we've, when we've taken a courage step, when we've moved forwards in faith, and then we start going, yeah, it was great, great back in Egypt. I remember when um, me when, when I moved down to Nottingham, uh, down from Nottingham to Cardiff, and a, and a team of us moved down to plant the church. And me and my sister had this little joke about going back to Egypt, and going back to Egypt was going back to Nottingham. Do you know what I mean? Where it was so easy, where the glory cloud shone. Do you know what I mean? In that first year, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go back to Egypt. Um, but that that little phrase, and that's what happens. Going back to Egypt is going back, and do you know what it means? Going back into slavery. That's what it looks like. A lot of people get stuck in safe slavery. And they're enslaved by a relationship, or they're enslaved by a fear, or they're enslaved by a habit. And to let go of that, they really don't like it, but at least it's predictable. It's comfortable. I know what's in Egypt. I know what it feels like. Some of us have a habit of doing that. Some of us confuse slavery and safety. They're not the same thing. I know it's a bad situation, but at least it's predictable. I know that this habit is self-defeating, but it's comfortable. It's just who I am. It's what I do. It's not good, but it's safe. This is what happens when we kind of go in a loop. It's like when the Lord's beginning to convict us or nudge us about something, he's like, it could be the job that we're in. It could be a relationship that we're, you know, you can put it into any number of different contexts. And the Lord begins to kind of unsettle us about the whole thing. And he's like, you know that this thing's not great. And what you do, and what we do is we begin to rationalize. It's not great, but it's safe. That's what begins to happen. But actually, the Lord's calling us into freedom. And the Lord is calling the people of God into freedom. And what happens in this moment of disobedience is that they stay in slavery. They don't walk into freedom. At the heart of it, this is the grasshopper mindset. It forgets. It forgets God's provision. It forgets God's faithfulness. And it forgets our identity. All of those things. It's just gone. It's just the moment. I am scared by what's in front of me. In that moment, we have to stop. We have to listen. And we have to remember. God, what have you done before? Lord, I want to see you do it again. Lord, that's when we surround ourselves with other great people and we hear the God stories and we begin to be encouraged by other people's faith and we stand with brothers and sisters in Christ and they stand alongside us and they pray for us. And it's like, do you remember what God's done in your life before? You're like, yeah. Do you know what? I completely forgotten because I got stuck in this moment. I had forgotten what God has done. We need to remember. This grasshopper mindset, let us just contrast that with what the Bible says happens when we start to live our lives seeing through the lens of faith, learning to be a dreamer, learning to see God's vision, learning to look at things not as they are, but as they could be. How do you do that? And what difference does it make in our lives? So let's go back into the passage, chapter 14, verse 5. We're going to pick it up there. 
Again, this, this story is awesome. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Juniper, who were among those who'd explored the land, they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Coming back to this idea, this series is called By Faith. Faith is seeing things from God's perspective. Seeing things with God's eyes. Hebrews 11 that we based the series, the By Faith series in, talks about faith. It says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. The Bible says that faith is a way of seeing. Now, would you agree that there's more than one way to look at something? I know that because I'm both married and I have children. <laughs> so even this afternoon, do I want to go there? I was just thinking, is this an appropriate story? <laughs> yes, it is an appropriate story. My children were annoying. It's fine to share that. Ellie wanted to watch telly. Izzy and Ellie needed to read. Ellie was like, yes, Izzy did some reading this morning. She's done half an hour of reading. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. So I asked Izzy and Izzy was like, nope, I didn't do any reading. Then Ellie's like, yes, she did. I was like, Ellie, you're on to a loser here. Isabel said that she didn't read. She dug in. Yes, she definitely did read this morning. She's lying. I don't think that's true. Anyway, complete. My point is, there's different ways of seeing things. <laughs> Ellie had a different way of seeing it to me in that moment. Sometimes there might even be... It would be hilarious if Ellie was actually right and Isabel had actually forgotten, which could have happened. Like, I'm not saying that didn't happen. Sometimes there can be a dozen different ways of looking at something. What really matters is not how you see it and not how I see it, but how God sees it. What's happening when the, they were on the bank of the promised land looking over to the promised land is what did they need? They needed to see with God's eyes in that moment and, and I believe that's what we're seeing when we look at Caleb and Joshua. They're like, actually, this is what the Lord has spoken. These are the Lord's purposes. He's given it us. Therefore, we just need to go in. Coming back into the passage, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Caleb and Joshua knew that to not step, to not to do this, was actually disobedience. It was disobedience against the Lord. That's why they say in this passage, do not rebel against the Lord. And then what happens is they actually, in the passage, it talks about them tearing their clothes. I don't know whether you noticed that. In, the, in, in that time, if you were to tear your clothes, it was a, it was a sign of mourning and grief. You tear your clothes. It's like, I, and in that moment, what they're doing is they're visibly demonstrating how terrible the decision that the people of God are about to make is. And they're like, they rip their clothes. They're like, do not make this decision. God has given us the land. They're ripping their clothes. They could do no more. They are pleading with them. It's like God has given us this moment. We have got to step in. And so this is the faith 
that we talk about in this story. That's why God looked on, upon Caleb and Joshua and was like, actually, you will enter the promised land because there was a faith over you. That's how far you were willing to go. Faith is seeing God's purposes. Now, in my experience, it's generally not the easy path of least resistance. I talked about safety earlier, that moment where it's just like, do you know what? I know that my situation is not great, but at least it's safe. That goes against faith, doesn't it? That goes against the Lord's purposes. The Lord is so often nudging us, stirring us, calling us. And he's like, do not settle. Do not stay here. And the people, they're settling on the side. And then they're like, actually, we're going to go back into the, we're going to go back into the desert for another 38 years. It's like, do not stay here. I am calling you onwards. Will you take this step with me? Will you go after the Lord's purposes? And so this is the imagery of the wholehearted devotion that it's talking about with Caleb. He was wholeheartedly devoted, that his heart was before the Lord. And he was like, Lord, where you lead, we will go. We will follow. We will be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Is that always easy? No, it's not. In my experience, it's not. It's not always easy to be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it requires, it's like, well, God, if you say that, then I'm going to step. And that a life of wholehearted devotion is a life where we keep stepping and we keep going, okay, Lord, if this is what you've said, we're going to keep stepping. We're not going to stay in safety. We're going to go after the next thing that you've asked us to do. It's an adventure. It's the adventure of faith. It's never boring, <laughs> the adventure of faith, because God keeps asking us to step. Faith is believing in God's power to overcome. It goes on, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. In the last series, when I talked about by faith, I talked about the story of Gideon. And I'm just going to remind you of that for a moment. Gideon is hidden in a wine press <laughs> away from everybody. The Midianites keep attacking the people of God. Gideon is kind of a nobody at this point, and he's down in this wine press, and then an angel turns up and says over Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon has this hilarious kind of exchange with the Lord, and it goes, pardon me, my Lord, pardon me, my Lord. You got the wrong guy. I am no mighty warrior. And the Lord's like, no, absolutely. You are the mighty warrior. And what's brilliant and beautiful about this story of Gideon is he goes on to say, I'm the least in my tribe. I'm the most insignificant person that you can believe. But the angel has put this identity on him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which must have been really funny to Gideon because he was the opposite. In himself, he's feeling. And then the story goes on all the way through to this point where he's got 300. The Lord's whittled down the people of God to 300. And he's like, now go and attack the Midianite people. And Gideon's sitting there being like, this is terrible. And in fact, I'm just going to, we're just, what the plan is, we're going to make a lot of noise. And the Lord's like, yeah, that's the plan. And we see Gideon responding to this. And I think that's a lot like what the journey of faith feels like when the Lord asks us to step. We generally turn around and we start with, but I'm the least in my tribe and the least in my family. And in fact, please, could you use anybody else other than me? And the Lord's like, no, because for each and every single one of us that follow Jesus, the Lord has purposes and plans for us. 
He's got places for us to step into. And it is going to look completely different. The things that the Lord's calling me to do are completely different to what he's calling you to do. And that's great. And one of the things that I've been deeply, deeply encouraged about in the last couple of months is as I've started speaking to people across our communities, I am seeing the fingerprints of God as people step out in journeys of faith. And I'm not talking about serving the church necessarily. You know, for some, that that, that is it. But actually, I'm talking about people in business. I'm talking about people taking a step in their career, out there, feeling like God's got this project for them to do that, that they've been sitting on, and then watching them take this step of faith. I can feel courage returning to the church. That what happened during the pandemic in so many communities uh, of faith, of church communities, is that actually we went insular. We went inside. We went into survival. And in some senses, that, that's okay. You know, we do those things for a moment. But actually, I started this whole message by, the, by saying that the Lord is asking us to find our voice again. And what do I mean by that? I mean confidence. And confidence, If to be taken in another way, what is confidence? Confidence is faith. Faith in the things that God has called us to. And so what I'm hoping as the course of this series is that the Lord is just going to begin to impart faith into our community, that dreams and visions and wells that have been shut down, the Lord's going to be like, actually, I'm going to open them up again. It's time to open those things up. It's time to see the church go again. And so I'm excited about that. And so as we come in to finish, I just want you to remember Caleb was a man, Numbers 14, 24, who had, it talks about him having a different spirit and wholehearted devotion. And that's what we're talking about. We're like, Lord, I want to be a person of wholehearted devotion.